Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. In each episode, we cut through the noise to bring practical advice and macro research on today's shifting economic and market landscape. Please listen to the important legal information at the end of this podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode in our podcast series, Beyond Markets. My name is Cheryl Tan and I'm Head of Fund Specialist Singapore at Julius Baer. Today, we are very privileged to have with us Dwight Scott, Global Head of Credit at Blackstone, to share insights about the burgeoning private credit market. Blackstone is one of the largest alternative U.S. asset managers in the world, with over $880 billion in assets under management as of end 2021, of which over $240 billion is in credit and over $130 billion is in private credit specifically where they are a prominent market leader, according to Prekin. Hello, Dwight. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Cheryl. Glad to be here, and thank you for having me. For many years now, global interest rates have been close to historic lows, driving yield-oriented investors to seek alternative sources of income. More recently, as global central banks turned decidedly hawkish and fixed-income market volatility spiked, we saw a surge of interest in private credit-related instruments. Right. would you like to start today's discussion with a quick introduction to private credit? Absolutely. Private credit refers to loans, bonds, and other credit instruments that are issued in private offerings as opposed to being publicly syndicated and traded in the public markets. As banks have retrenched in both the U.S. and Europe since the great financial crisis, an increasing opportunity has been created for private lenders. Uh, We do not see that trend reversing as regulatory pressure continues in many of the markets where we invest. Recently, we are seeing an increased shift of large financial sponsors and issuers away from issuing debt in the public markets and instead gravitating towards private markets to work directly with lenders like Blackstone because the value add, speed, scale, and certainty that we bring to these deals. Last year was a very active year for private equity sponsors, and that's where the private debt markets finds many of our deals. We saw meaningful growth in deal flow amid a record-setting M&A environment in the U.S. We believe those activities were driven by a few key factors, healthy earnings by many companies, private equity sponsors growing available capital base to deploy, and an attractive financing environment. On the investor side, we're also seeing an increased allocation to private credit by our largest institutional investors and high net worth investors alike as they move away from lower-yielding, longer-duration fixed-income instruments towards higher-yield, senior-secured floating-rate opportunities like the private credit market offers. Thanks for the overview, Doyle. With the prospect of substantially higher interest rates in the U.S., more likely now than it has been for many years, we've also witnessed an uptick in interest in senior loans because of their floating-rate nature. Now, how does private credit compare to senior loans in the U.S.? Well, like those syndicated bank loans, which are also called senior loans, Private loans are also typically structured as floating rate instruments where investors may potentially benefit as the underlying rates increase in this rising rate environment like the one we're in today. Both private loans and syndicated loans tend to be senior secured. Private lenders can often negotiate tighter terms and more meaningful covenants versus those publicly syndicated counterparts. Further, compared to syndicated loans, private loans also tend to have a little bit more call protection, which helps returns by generating 
an additional premium in the event of a prepayment. Finally, private loans have consistently outperformed public credit in the U.S. over the last 10 years with a 9% area type return, which is meaningfully higher than returns for both syndicated loans and high-yield bonds over the similar period. And it has less than half of the volatility during that period. Overall, we like the strategy as private loans can offer better loss protection terms and potential yield than syndicated loans and high-yield bonds in today's environment. So besides these positive attributes versus senior loans, are there any other reasons why investors may want to consider investing in private credit? Well, beyond the fact that floating rate loans can benefit in this rising rate environment, it is important to contrast that in the rising rate environment like we're in today, it can be especially challenging for traditional fixed income investors as they often have much longer duration risk and relatively low yield in their portfolio. But in addition to that base rate situation, the investors in private credit may generate a premium return due to the privately originated and privately negotiated nature of these investments. With private loans, we as lenders originate diligence and document the deals, reviewing many more deals than we ultimately decide to pursue. We work with the top sponsors that we've known for years and that we have seen react in good and bad times. Private lenders often receive more information and diligence on companies, and that allows us to make a more informed credit decision. And from our sponsors and borrowers' perspectives, they see private credit as a premium product because it offers speed of execution, certainty of commitment, confidentiality, fewer public disclosures, less complex process often, and more flexible and customizable solutions. What was particularly interesting in the private credit market over the last 18 months was the increase in the number of large-scale debt transactions that would have historically been executed in the public markets and that are now being provided by private lenders. Historically, the limiting factor for private credit has been scale, which shifted materially in 2021 as private lenders like Blackstone demonstrated the ability to underwrite multi-billion dollar private financings. Scale can certainly be a critical competitive advantage in credit. At Blackstone, our scale allows us to write larger checks, for instance, in order to solve issuers' needs. We're also often the only lender in the senior part of the capital structure for borrowers, which can make the process simpler and eventually lead to increased opportunities for the issuer and the lender alike. However, you know, like all higher yielding products, private credit is not without risk. And I believe having a long history of investing successfully in the asset class through various cycles is important. Well, private credit certainly seems like a very attractive alternative to traditional fixed income, especially in the current environment. That said, are there specific considerations that investors need to take note of before investing in private credit funds? That is absolutely the right question. And I think investing in any asset class is not without risk. Some key considerations for investors when they review an investment in a private credit fund include their liquidity needs, manager selection, track record. For example, different from daily traded securities in the public market, Investments in private credit generally offer less liquidity to the investor. However, there has been an increase in semi-liquid private credit products, including those, some of those created by Blackstone. The private credit market has developed fund structures that offer investors a product that potentially generates a premium return if investors are willing to sacrifice a bit of liquidity. From a manager selection perspective, our view is that scale value add, expertise, investment approach, and track record truly differentiate a manager. As one of the largest private credit managers globally, we see the potential benefit that a large-scale platform brings from both a deal sourcing and an investing perspective. 
and credit money is made by avoiding mistakes and having a well-rounded perspective of risk is key to managing credit. If you joined our investment committee in any of the last few weeks, you would have seen a real focus on each and every credit in protecting against downside. Additionally, experience and track record can only be built over time, and I believe that's another important factor to consider before investing into various private credit funds. Our senior investment team has worked together for almost 17 years since the exception of Blackstone Credit, which means that the team has successfully navigated through several cycles in different market environments. I guess maybe this would be a good time, Cheryl, for me to turn the questions to you and see what are some of the key concerns or questions that you encounter about private credit? Well, especially recently, Dwight, one of the biggest worries that clients have about investing in private credit now is that companies will not be able to service their loans or default, especially if the loans are made to smaller cap companies, if the U.S. drops into a recession in the near term. We echo that concern about investing in smaller companies, and we strongly believe that the most interesting part of the private markets is investing in larger companies, which may often have stronger sponsors, potentially better management teams, and are typically leaders in their respective markets. This is where we're certainly focused on investing. As we think about risk in today's environment that you mentioned, we do think about inflation, we think about rising rates, and we think about pockets of market volatility and market weakness. To protect against and mitigate potential risk and stress in our portfolio, we like to focus on the most senior part of the capital structure, where we have ample subordination in either debt and or equity underneath our senior secured investment. This, along with our stress testing, credit selection, focus on documentation, including covenants, we believe potentially help protect our downside risk in any environment and in the environment we're in today. With every credit, we evaluate risk to the underlying business, the business model, the company's ability to generate cash flow to repay our debt in a stress environment, and the health of the sector they operate in. All of this is because failure in credit is punitive. We price and structure our transactions based on risk assessment and due diligence. We tend to avoid sectors that are highly cyclical and areas where secular long-term headwinds exist. We also avoid credits that have a single point of failure. Additionally, after making an investment, we focus on active portfolio monitoring and raising any potential issues or trends early on. We work towards building a diversified portfolio such that that if there is any issue in any one company, it does not cause a material impact to the overall portfolio. We think about risk mitigation in as many ways as possible through our investment process and decision-making. And by the way, circling back to earlier comments about investing in large-scale transactions, in 2021 alone, there were 26 private financings over $1 billion each, and Blackstone led over half of them. One of the largest deals Blackstone Credit led last year was a $2.6 billion financing to support our sponsor partner, Toma Bravo's Take Private of Stamps.com, which is now called Octane, in a transaction valued at approximately $6.6 billion. You see that $4 billion of equity capital below our $2.6 billion financing. That is that subordination I mentioned before. Our financing allowed Stamps.com to extend its position as the leading provider of e-commerce shipping solutions. This was one of the largest private debt deals done in the market at the time. Wow. Not only has the size of the market grown, it seems deal size has grown substantially as well. Well, another question we often get about private credit funds, which typically apply leverage within the portfolio, is whether expected returns will be compromised because of higher borrowing costs. Is this really the case or is there a way to mitigate the impact, Dwight? Cheryl, that's a good question. But just to remind the listener, the large majority of our debt investments are floating rate loans, as are the large majority of our borrowings. As rates rise, the total interest rate we earn on our assets 
should increase, and the interest rate we pay on our liabilities also will increase. Since our asset base is larger than our liabilities in most of our assets, in most of our portfolios, our leverage is about one-to-one with equity, the net impact should be positive as we have more assets than we have liabilities. We do diversify our portfolio's liabilities through fixed-rate bonds, which offsets some of the impact on our liabilities of rising rates. Very interesting. After the tremendous growth, especially in recent years, do you think this growth and current spreads in private credit can continue, especially if global growth slows and interest rates rise? Our view is that the private credit market is large and is poised to continue to grow. Private credit was about 7% of the $1 trillion overall corporate credit market back in 2005 when we started focusing on this asset class. And when I mean total overall size, I mean private credit, leverage loans, and high yield all combined. Today, it's grown to from that 7% market share to about 25% of the overall market, and the market has more than tripled in size to $4 trillion. We expect this growth to continue, even accelerate, especially as we continue to see the shift of large-scale private transactions coming into private lending market and away from the public syndicated market, a trend we believe will continue in 2022 and onward. All these trends together are expected to drive further accelerated growth and demand in the private credit space. That's good to know. Now let's talk a little bit about Europe. Is there an established private credit market there as well? Great question and a big focus of ours. And yes, there is an established private credit market in Europe. And we have seen an impressive growth, particularly over the last five years, where the market has more than doubled in size. Today, we estimate private credit represents approximately 17% of the $1 trillion addressable market in Europe. And that's, once again, that $1 trillion is private credit, leverage loans, and high-yield bonds altogether. The emergence and growth of private credit in Europe has been driven by similar factors as to what we have seen in the U.S. Prior to the global financial crisis in 2008, direct lending in Europe was dominated by national champion lenders and large European investment banks. But the lasting impact from the crisis, coupled with the more stringent capital requirements, hit the European banking sector especially hard. The wave of consolidation that followed and pullback from balance sheet lending created a financing void where private credit and lenders like Blackstone Credit have been able to step in. But how does the European private credit market compare with the U.S.? Are there interesting opportunities there that you see now? We believe there are interesting opportunities. And if we compare Europe to its U.S. counterpart, the private credit market in Europe is three to four times smaller in size. With traditionally deeper capital markets and having experienced banking consolidation prior to the great financial crisis, private credit in the U.S. is more institutionalized, notably through the BDC model that facilitates middle market lending. There is no equivalent to the BDC in Europe. That said, We believe there are notable tailwinds to support continued growth and ultimately achieve a similar penetration level as we currently see in the U.S. For example, of the $1 trillion plus of dry powder and private equity funds globally, approximately $200 billion of this is focused on Europe. We think this will sustain M&A activity that already reached record levels in 2021 with a significant portion of the necessary debt financing directed to the private credit markets. This, coupled with a growing acceptance of private solutions by the financial sponsor community that are increasingly aware of the benefit private capital can offer, sets the scene for an increasing opportunity set, we believe, over the next few years. Well, thanks, Dwight. Sounds very exciting indeed. Well, Blackstone is clearly a leader in U.S. private credit markets. Do you also have experience in the European private credit space? Indeed, we do. We've been on the ground investing in Europe since 2006. In this time, we have committed to approximately 22 billion euros of investments across the capital structure. 
So we believe we have developed much needed expertise to navigate often complex issues like jurisdictional nuances, which are important factors when lending across the continent. Today, we have a 37-person team dedicated to investing in private credit, and we believe it is important to be regionally focused, so have local offices in Dublin, Frankfurt, Madrid, Milan, and Paris that complement the regional headquarters we have in London. In terms of opportunities, keeping a consistent theme with our U.S. direct lending business, we like to focus on scale transactions and and concentrate on good neighborhoods, i.e. sectors that are benefiting from secular tailwinds. For example, we provided $822 million sterling to finance BC Partners' acquisition of Davies Group, a UK-headquartered provider of professional and tech-enabled solutions to the insurance industry. We believe our ability to provide a scale solution, including a substantial committed acquisition facility to support the company's M&A plans on an expedited timeline was a key differentiator. This was just one deal in what was a record year for our European franchise with over $8 billion of capital originated. Well, are the yields comparable to the U.S., though? The overall yield profile is very similar in Europe, with direct lending typically returning in that 65 to 8% ballpark range. Breaking this down, the spread levels are generally consistent between the U.S. and Europe, but we do see a divergence in reference rates given the U.S. has begun its hiking cycle while the European Central Bank has been slower to act. Therefore, because private credit is typically floating rate, Overall coupons in the U.S. deals can be 50 to 100 basis points higher. However, in Europe, deals tend to see stronger call protection, and we also see slightly higher deal fees in Europe, or what we call original issue discount, which is the discount to par paid up front when the loan is issued. Typically, these discounts are in the 3% range in Europe, which is approximately 100 basis points higher than we see in a typical U.S. deal. But overall, when assuming the average duration of direct lending is approximately three years, We believe the combination of return components in the U.S. and European deals, respectively, means we ultimately end up with similar overall return profiles. Well, thank you, Doris. Thanks for taking time out of your very busy schedule to spend time with us today. It's great to have you share your thoughts and valuable insights. And this brings us to the end of this episode. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in and goodbye. Thank you for having me. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. To learn more about Julius Baer, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbaer.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. This is a podcast disclaimer. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. The podcast content is intended for information purposes only and does not constitute an offer, a recommendation or an invitation by or on behalf of Julius Baer to buy or sell any securities, security-based derivatives or other products or to participate in any particular trading strategy in any jurisdiction. Julius Baer does not accept liability for any loss arising from the use of the podcast content. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further important legal information.